1 Samuel chapter 7, let's read from verse number 13. I'll try to help you with something here. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. It's something God showed me hmm, a couple of months ago. Kind of touched my heart and I just, you know. Verse number 13. So the Philistines were subdued and they came no more into the coast of Israel. Notice this statement. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored unto Israel, from Ekron even unto Gath, and the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Verse 16 and 17 will be our text this morning. And he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. You know, we need to remind ourselves when we read the Bible that everything in the Bible is for us. You realize there are many events that were not put in the Bible. Jesus did many more miracles than are recorded in the scriptures. But God has selected a number of those that he wants us to learn from. And it's the same when you look at the lives of these men and women in the Old Testament. They did many things that, you know, we don't know about, but we know some things. And God has, by choice, put certain things in the Bible. Now, I say that to say because that affects the whole way you read the Bible. If you believe that, then you read the Bible. And when you see something, you say, why is that there? Why did God put that there? You understand God wasn't filling space. Do you ever do an essay at school and you just sort of filled space? God never does that. God never just tried to fill in some gaps. God didn't put anything that was meaningless around the stuff that's meaningful. Everything in the Bible is there for a very distinct reason. Now, I don't know all of the reasons why all of the things are there, but it does affect the way you look at it. You look at it and you understand it. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, these things we just read, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now, in verse number 13, if you have your Bible, we'll turn to a few verses in a moment. In verse number 13, we're told this, As long as Samuel was present, Israel had a victory over the Philistines. They had they were blessed because of the presence of Samuel. Now, you'll find in the Bible when God puts his hand upon a man that it isn't just the man who is blessed, but when people get around that man, they get a blessing as well. That's why in, uh, I think it's uh, in uh, 2 Kings 13, when Elisha dies, the king of Israel comes to him on his deathbed and says, uh, the terminology he uses, uh, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. But what he's saying is, oh, what will happen to us when you're not here? And he was going through a battle. That maybe we'll look at that passage tonight. So as long as Samuel was present, the people were enjoying a blessing. It was good. They, they were winning and they, they, they were not overcome by the Philistines because Samuel was there. And uh, Samuel was the blessing was flowing through the presence of Samuel. And uh, things were restored to them that were lost because they were around Samuel. Now, the Bible gives us a little insight, I believe, as to why Samuel was the man he was. Why he had the blessing of God on his life. 
And I think that's given in verse number 16 and 17. In verse number 16, you find something here that Samuel had a pattern to life that he, he did every single year. The Bible says that, that he went from year to year, we're in verse 16, in circuit, meaning he just completed a certain pattern. Now, the word in circuit means he, he went the same way all the time. He just kept doing it. And here's the pattern he went. He went from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, back to Ramah, where he lived. And then again, he went from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah. And he did this every year. It was a pattern for his life. Now, in Thai, we say Tukpi, every year, continuously. That's what he did. And what we're going to do here, we're going to look at this cycle that was in Samuel's life and kind of have a look at what these things mean and try to understand maybe what God is pointing us here to. Let's look first of all at Bethel, because that was the place he started. Verse number 16, Bethel is the beginning. Now, let's see what Bethel means, and we'll do that by turning to Genesis chapter 28. Once you go ahead, if you'd rather I just read the passage, that's fine, whatever. However you can best digest it. Genesis chapter 28, and we'll just look here in verse number 17 and 19. Now, Bethel is the beginning. And I'm going to say right away that everything has to start at Bethel. This, this, what you'll see here is Samuel did not go, you know, from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah and Ram and then reverse the direction. He doesn't do that. There's a consistency to the pattern here. And Bethel, we find, in verse, uh, chapter number 28, we're in the book of Genesis, and verse number uh, 16, this is talking about Jacob, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, How dreadful is this place. Now, look, now notice this. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, and took the stone that he had put for his pillows, and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called, here it is, he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. So Jacob says, he said, this place, this one, you know, he discovered something. He said, for him, it was like dreadful. And, and, And may I say, there is a terror to the Lord. You know, when you look in the book of Revelation, those who knew him very well, who had reclined on his breast, fell at his feet in a kind of fear. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There is there is a certain terror of the Lord. Sometimes Australians, you know, they'll get a bit like, you know, they'll use slang, get a bit familiar. And I've heard people say some really stupid things. I say, oh, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to go up to Jesus, me mate. And I'm going to, you know, I'm thinking, oh. You know, like, you're not going to do that. No, 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 no. You, you, you'll fall at his, you, you, listen, if John didn't do that, who had reclined on his breast, you can be sure you're not going to do that. You, you're going to, you're going to be in terror. And so, so Jacob, uh, he, Jacob discovers something. Jacob, Jacob wakes up and he goes, he goes, he goes, this, this is, this is the, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, Bethel, brothers and sisters, is not the church house. Bethel, Bethel is your devotional life. Bethel is where you meet 
with God. Bethel is the place where you say, when you, when you get with God and you say, you know, I'm touching God and God is touching me. And the gate of heaven, you meaning like heaven is opened up to you and things are flowing down. That's what Bethel is. And Bethel is the starting place. And I want to know, is your devotional life Bethel? You see, here's what we've done, and, and we've, 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 some people, you know, they have a devotional life. Thank God they have something, but they maybe have a devotional book, and I'm certainly not against those, but they do their little reading, you know, speed reading, read the little story, pray through their list, in Jesus' name, amen. No, 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 Bethel is where you touch God and God touches you. Bethel is where you connect with God. You know, in another passage, God says to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel, and this statement, dwell there. You know what he's saying? Don't rush. Just get there. Listen to me, you'll only ever be as strong as your Bethel. It doesn't matter what else you do. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how much natural talent you have. You're only as strong as your Bethel. Now, you may have a devotional life, but you may not have a Bethel. Bethel is where you connect with God. Bethel, Bethel is where you hear from God. It's the place where God dwells. When you enter into that, it's the gate of heaven. And Bethel has to come first. That was the starting place. You know, you have to prioritize your time with God above everything else you do. And, you know, it's not God's fault that we've made life busy. And, and I understand we're all busy. Like, I, I do think life has got busier but not better. And what we do, we cut God. And the problem with that, you know, God, God continues the same, but we hurt. We miss out. We, we don't have what God would have us to have. So Beth, Bethel is the beginning you start with your time with God. You get alone with God. And you ought to have a devotional life that when, when you're praying, you ought to be touching God and God should be touching you. That's a reasonable expectation. You ought to have a devotional life. When you meet with God, you say, you ought to have, you ought to be Jacob say, this, this is the house of God. I'm, this is, the gate of heaven is open to me. And your Bethel is your beginning. If you don't have a Bethel, everything that comes thereafter, is not going to work, and you'll see that in a moment. You've got to have your Bethel. So, so Bethel was the place where people, you meet with God. Bethel is the place where you should have your little personal altar, where the gate of heaven is opened up to you, where you come into the place where God lives, and you touch God. Now, Bethel was also something else. If you go to Judges chapter 20, Bethel was a place where People met with God. But Bethel is also a place where you you can ask things of God. Bethel is a place where you can seek the mind of God and you can try to understand and get, get what God wants you to do. In Judges chapter 20, and if you look at verse number 18, tell you what we'll do. We'll look at 18 and then we'll look at 26 and 27. 18, 26, 27, and we'll watch the time. So your Bethel, brothers and sisters, is everything. And I want, I want to encourage you to have more than a token devotional life. 
And whatever your aspirations are for anything else, if you haven't got this Bethel thing right, and listen, what I'm saying to you, I've said to pastors' meetings and preachers, because they were all the same. And I mean, God showed me this a couple of months ago, and you know, God didn't show me for academic purposes. God showed me to to, to show me, and I was like, this is right. So in, in Judges chapter 20, look in verse number 18. I'll help you with something here. It says, And the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God. Now, you see, you see where it says house of God there in your Bible? Okay, if you, if you take just a strong concordance or anything, it's freely available. You find that where it says house of God, the Hebrew there is Bethel. It's Bethel. That's where they went. And you can look that up. It's easy to find that. The word is Bethel. House of God, Bethel. And so they went there, and here's what they did. They asked counsel of God. Bethel's the place where you seek the mind of God. Now, if you look over there in verse number 26 and 27, it says, Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came unto the what? House of God. Okay, that's Bethel as well. If you look that up in your little strongs, and you find that word is Bethel as well. In both of those occasions, the word Bethel is the one that's used there. So they went up to Bethel, and the Bible said they wept, and they sat there before the Lord. They sat there before the Lord. That's good, isn't it? Unhurried. Just just get with God. And fasted that day, and they offered offerings. And then verse number 27, the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. They asked of God. So, so Bethel is the place, you, your Bethel is the place where you are strengthened, uh, where God, God speaks to you, where you feel the gate of heaven is opened up to you. Bethel is the place where you get counsel from God. And Bethel should be the starting place. And Bethel is the place where you inquire of God. God, what would you have me to do? God will speak to you if you have your Bethel. Listen to me, if you will take the time to make this thing real in your life and touch God, God will touch you. And you'll hear from God. Now, what will often happen when you get counsel and inquiry of God is that God will show you and then after he'll confirm it to you through external sources. But typically we usually go around the other way. We wait till external things happen and then we sort of ask God about it. But really, you should be drawing near to God, getting the mind of God. And that's what happens when you're Bethel. But you have to be still. I'm not saying you can do this if you have a five-minute devotional time. And if you do, I'm glad you have that rather than nothing. But I'm not talking about just kind of a token devotional life here. I'm talking about connecting with God and getting with God and feeling the touch of God on your life. You know, the world needs authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity is highly influential. There's just not much of it around. One of the reasons people are unimpressed is because there's nothing to be impressed about. But authentic Christianity is very influential. People notice it. So Bethel is your place where you meet with God. Bethel is a place where you see things. Bethel is a place where you are strengthened. Bethel is the place where you inquire of God. Bethel is your start. And Bethel comes first. You'll only ever be as strong as your devotional life. 
So he went from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah and then back to his home in Ramah. All right, now let's have a look here and let's notice the next one here. So Bethel is our beginning point and we know that's the place where we meet and touch God and God touches us. And then we go to Gilgal. Now, I can tell you this, the Hebrew, the Gilgal means is it means, uh, you know, rolling like a wheel is rolling. So we want to find out, well, what does that mean for, for us? And we go back to where these, and we can go back to Joshua chapter 5. So once you go back to Joshua chapter 5, now if you write notes in your Bible, you should write beside all these names, uh, you know, where you find the, the references to what these places mean. Joshua chapter number 5. Now, remember we said that Gilgal means rolling like a wheel. So we'll say, well, okay, well, what does that mean for me, you know? Okay, Joshua chapter number 5. And how about we start reading at verse number 7. And we're, we're finding out, okay, he started in Bethel. He went from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah and back to Ramah. And then did the circuit again. And this is something that was consistent in Samuel's life. Verse number 7. And their children whom he raised up in their stead. Then Joshua circumcised. Ah, oh, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord, oh God is speaking, and the Lord said to Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. So you understand that that uh, in the Bible, circumcision speaks of putting off the flesh life. It, sim- it represents that. So Gilgal is the place where we we roll away the flesh life. You put off the flesh life. Now, you'll notice that Gilgal comes after Bethel. It never works to put Gilgal before Bethel. You can't cast off the flesh life before Bethel. The order here is distinctly important. So, So the place where the flesh life is cast off, that's Gilgal. And you have to do that. It's the place where the thinking of the flesh, because brothers and sisters, please do not confine the concept of the flesh life just to uh, sexual lust. That's way, way too narrow. It covers a whole broad range of things. The flesh is is tricky. The flesh is deceitful. Uh, The flesh wants to dominate. There There is not only deeds of the flesh, there's thinking of the flesh. Where your mindset can be can be coming from that old man, that flesh nature, and it's not coming from the new man. Your flesh is your enemy. Your flesh is the enemy of you. Your flesh is the enemy of your family. Your flesh is the enemy of your church. Your flesh does not want you to do the will of God. Your flesh does not even want you to see the will of God. Your flesh. You know what your flesh is? Your flesh is a dead man trying to possess your body. And you have to roll the flesh life away. You have to get that out. You have to put that aside. Now, the Bible says, and it's a fantastic verse. Why don't you have a look at it in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, talking about rolling away the flesh. Now, brethren, remember, Bethel was first. We don't want to get the order wrong here. He didn't go one way and turn back and go the other way. We go from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah and back to Ramah. Then we go Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and back to Ramah. And we want to keep the order right. You've got to have the Bethel first. Everything starts at Bethel. You don't go to Gilgal without going to Bethel first. 
Chapter number 13. And by the way, while you're turning it, you know, Dio, he said to me, he said, he said, sit down. I want to <laughs> sit down. I want to ask you one question. So I sat down and he didn't speak any English. And he said to me, why, when I want to change, I can't change? Why? I ask you. And I said, well, you know, I said, your, your body doesn't want to change. He said, no, no, not problem body. He said, problem this one, problem this one. You know, head and heart. And I said, well, that's what I meant. It's, it's, so I said, that's what I meant. I said, you're not going to be able to do that. I said, that's why I told you, you have to come to God. You have to get saved. Then I said, God will come in you. And when God comes in you, you can start to deal with these things. But I said, you'll find it very hard on your own. Now, I didn't say it's impossible because some people do achieve some things on their own. Uh, but I said, it's going to be very, very hard. Because the flesh is very powerful. You know, I mean, we all know that. We all know the power of our flesh. And if you don't know it, you know, just, you're not paying attention to your own self. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. This is a great verse in giving thought to rolling away the flesh, you know, having a Gilgal life. Verse number 14 says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision. Those three words are very important. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know, every army commander understands this. If you're going to defeat the enemy, if you can cut their supply line, you're halfway there. Uh, Nazi Germany was largely defeated through, they just, their factories were bombed, their supplies were cut, 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 cut. They couldn't, they couldn't provide for their army anymore. And when you cut provision, you know, you, you, the soldier can only go so long and he's done. And here's what God is saying. Make not provision to fulfill the lust of the flesh thereof. So let's go back and say this. Cut the supply line. So the question is, what empowers your flesh? And it's different things for different people. For, for some people, you know, the TV may, it may be supplying your flesh. And you may have to say, I have to cut that. It could be something else. You, you have to decide what it is for you. But here's what I'm saying. Rather than tackling it from, I must not fulfill the lust of the flesh, I must not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'm saying just step back a little bit where the verse goes and say this, make not provision. Let's cut the provision and you can only go so long and there's nothing there anymore if you cut the provision. When I, when I was in Tasmania, you know the first time we mentioned Tasmania, somebody said to me, is that a real place? They sort of said, is that a real place? My wife's from Tasmania and she's a real person, so it's a real place. Uh, and the funniest thing was she was in North Carolina getting her hair done this week and someone said, where are you from? She said, Tasmania. And the lady said, is that a real place? <laughs> I bet all you Americans failed your geography course, I'm sure. You, you. <laughs> when I was in Tasmania, we had a number of dairy farms around us and they carve at a certain time of the year. We have lots of calves. So they want to do this. They want to keep, they want to keep the lady cows because it's a dairy farm and they milk, and they want to get rid of all the little boy cows, unless, you know, they've got a couple of bulls on the property, that's all they want. So one of the farmers in the church, he said, you know, you want a couple of calves? And he said, you can raise them up and, you know, you can sell them or you can use them for meat later on. And so, okay, so he had a couple of calves. So they gave us a couple of calves, and they were little boy calves, because that's what they give you. 
And uh, they gave us the calves. And the mistake we made, the first thing we did wrong was the children went and named the calves. <laughs> now, you know, don't name what you're going to eat. It's not, don't do that. So, so the kids, the kids go ahead and they name one of the calves Duncan and the other one Clancy. So we have Duncan and Clancy. And you know, the kids are out there with little bottles of made up milk for cows and they're feeding them. And anyway, the men in the church said, okay, the little boy calves, what we have to do, we have to come and we have to, I'm going to say, how can I say this delicately? We have to, we have to castrate the cows. We have to remove the testicles. I went, oh, okay. They said, because, you know, they're steers and you're going to, that's what you've got to do. So, oh, okay. I said, well, I don't know anything about that. You'll have to do that. And I said, okay. So they're going to come and they're coming one particular Saturday morning. And I'm thinking, you know, they're going to come with like big scissors, <laughs> something like that. Or they're going to pull out a sharp knife and say to the cow, look that way. And then <laughs> something like that. So I'm thinking it's going to be something like this. So they come and, and, and I go out to watch them, you know. And I'm there, and I'm thinking, oh, it's not going to be pleasant, but, you know. And I'm looking, and what they do, they walk up, and they have a little black band, and they have a little thing, and they slide that little band up over the testicles of the little boy calves, and they just put it on, and, and they wait, and I thought, oh, I must be going to put it on, and then the scissors, the knife, something's coming. So I'm looking, and they say, well, we're done. I say, we're done. I say, do you need to? And they say, No. They said, it's okay. They say, we, this, what that will do, that will just cut off all the blood and it's only a matter of time, we'll just drop away. And that's exactly what happened. After a few days, because the supply, the blood supply had been completely cut, it just comes away. I thought about that. You know, what God is saying is if you'll cut the provision to the flesh, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But I don't know for you what that is. It could be the music you are listening to. I'm talking about music that you know it's a feeder to the flesh. You may have to cut that. Oh, I couldn't do that. You see, then you're not serious. You're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. You have to get to the place where you want to have a Gilgal life. And you say, you know, I don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh. What do I need to do? Step one, cut the supply line. I preached this meeting in North Carolina last week. I preached this message, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, the hairdresser who did Suzanne's hair, she said, oh, I went home and she, had, she threw out a whole lot of music. She said, God just spoke to my heart. I knew I had to do it. I didn't tell her to throw out music out. I just said, whatever it is for you. And you know what is the feeder, whatever that is. So, so the Gilgal life is the life where you roll off the flesh. But you're not going to be able to do that unless you fulfill this verse that says you don't make provision. So the first step, and can I say this, even if you are not confident on, I don't know what's going to happen here, fulfill the lust of the flesh or not, you know, I battled with this before. Okay, you know, I don't judge you for that. But I say this, if you're serious, take this step and cut the supply line. Let's worry about what happens after here, after we do this. Let's start here. And whatever it is, you, you, you cut the supply line and you do that. All right, now, Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah. Remember, Bethel's your starting place. You, you, you don't try to do your Gilgal unless you have your Bethel. So you go from Bethel, you go to Gilgal. Now, I want you to see the next one, Mizpah, and go back to 1 Samuel chapter 7, if you can find that again. That's where we started. Go back to 1 Samuel and chapter number 7, 
Because that's the third one in the journey. Now, you know, when, when you have a Gilgal life, you, you don't, you, you, you're gonna have a certain amount of activity by the enemy. When, when you make a decision to have a Gilgal life, you can be sure there's gonna be a counter-offensive will come your way. It always happens that way. And, uh, and, and in fact, we didn't look at it because I didn't want to, you know, I'm watching the time here, but, but, but at Gilgal, after they did that, it was just after that they got deceived as well. And they got tricked. And the enemy, the enemy deceived them. And one of the reasons you need to have a mispar is because you always get a counteroffensive out of Gilgal. And so, 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 look in 1 Samuel chapter number 7. In verse number 4, the children of Israel, 7, 4, the children of Israel have a Gilgal moment. And if you want to go, go home, if you feel like it, you've got the time, read the whole chapter and you'll digest this a little bit better. But in verse number four, they have a Gilgal moment where they decide, you know, we're going to put away the, the things we've been doing, the gods of the flesh. The, we're, going to, we're going to put all that aside. We're going to do right. We're just going to make a decision to do right and put all that stuff away. And when they did that, they put all that away. You know, the next thing that happened was they all got together and you'll see that this happened at Mizpah, verse number five. And then look what happens in verse number seven. As soon as the Philistines hear that the children of Israel are gathered together at Mizpah, they come against them. And that's your counteroffensive. They're going to come and try to, try to oppress you and roll over the top of you and suppress you and, and stop you doing right. You know, the, the devil knows when you take your steps, brothers and sisters, one of the most powerful things you can do is to initiate your Bethel. And then if you go from Bethel to Gilgal, I mean, you know, the devil's going to see that this is a change you. But this is positioning you to be highly effective for God. And he knows that. And he's going to come against you. But don't worry, because Mizpah means a high or strong tower. That's what Mizpah means. And Mizpah is speaking of what God is for us. God is our strong tower. God is our high tower. And you know what happened at Mizpah? The enemy came against them, but the Bible says in verse number 10, they got Samuel together, they prayed to God, and the Bible says as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomforted them, and they were smitten before Israel. God will be your defense. God will be your strong tower. God will battle for you. God will stand for you. And even though others come against you and principalities and powers war their war against you, God is your strong tower. Mizpah says you have God. The Bible says in Proverbs 18 verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. God will, God will fight for you. God will win your battles. God will prevail for you because Mizpah is the place where God is your strong tower and God will be with you. And you can count on that. Now, get the circuit. He went from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah and then to Ramah. And then back again, Bethel to Gilgal. Remember, Bethel's your place with God. Gilgal rolled away. Get the flesh life rolling away. Mizpah, God is my strong tower. God will fight for me. And Rama, do you know what Rama means? That's the last one mentioned there. I'll tell you what Rama means. Rama means 
forgive me, I would never do this in Thailand, but you're Americans. Rama means a high or elevated position. And that's where Samuel lived. And that's where you'll live if you have your Bethel, your Gilgal, and your Mizpah. You know where you'll live? You'll live above your circumstances. You, you, won't, you won't live under your circumstances. You'll be above it. And, and you, you say, I don't know what happened. Circumstances are the same, but I feel like I'm above it. Ah, huh. Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, and you get to live in Rama. And that's where God wants you to live. And that's where you will live if you'll just follow these steps. Now, there's not a Christian here this morning who, who can't do this if you want to. Uh, you know, we, we can decide together. We can decide together. You know what? I'm, I'm going to have my Bethel. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act for Gilgal. I'm going to cut the provisions. And God is going to be my strong tower, Mizpah. And this is where I want to live. I can't guarantee your circumstances, but I can guarantee if you'll do these things, you'll live above it and not underneath. And brothers and sisters, that's what God wants you to do. Don't reverse the circuit. Don't try and go back the other way. It was a year-by-year thing. Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, and you'll have a blessed life, blessed of the Lord.